And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Weighing In Podcast, the midweek. Psych! <laughs> Big John is gone, baby. Guess what happened? He decided that it would be a great idea to dig up his driveway on his own with some helpers, of course. But just like John, every time he does everything on his own, like I've said before, climb trees, hornet's nest, whatever else you want to get his hands dirty into, guess what happens? Something goes wrong. And just like it's predictable, it happened again. He decided to dig up his Wi-Fi wire. And that thing broke and snapped. And now he has no Wi-Fi at his house. So we want to thank Big John for that because now you're stuck with this guy right here. Just me, Podcast Dave, and a bunch of just crazy action that we're going to talk about today got a little bit of news we'll talk about the fight um we are dropping this before the wilder and fury fight because i'm going to make sure that i sit down and watch that we're going to john and i will hopefully do it together on monday or tuesday and we will talk about that fight on those days um and it's going to be a great fight tonight but i want to sit and actually enjoy watching that fight instead of worrying about having to rush to come back and get the filming in tonight so the ufc was earlier tonight dave did you watch any of it you did not. Yeah, I just watched the main event. I just watched no, the, the main, main event. event. Okay, well, you know what? Let's just jump right in the main event. I'm going to get a little bit of a, a casuals, um, you know, opinion in this situation. Talk to me, Dave. What did you see from Dern? What did you see from Rodriguez? Well, so my, my biggest beef was that uh, Mackenzie Dern said she was coming in here. Not only was she going to finish the fight, but she was going to have a better performance than Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos. From last week, is that what she said? And I don't yeah. know if that was the case. I think they were both equal. I think both showings were were not great, but I thought they were still. They look, they're both hard fought fights, and that's the thing. So when Dave talks, Dave talks from a WWE perspective. So I want you guys to understand that. So we have a lot of we have a lot of other um, people like Dave, okay, that are fans of WWE and fans of the pro wrestling that also do kind of cover some media and uh they have like this fairweather fan perspective that they like to put out so you know um i like to take little jabs at people if you guys haven't figured it out yet but this is gonna be a fun show guys overall mckenzie dern she she showed a lot that i was very impressed with but the thing that she didn't show was her wrestling and the wrestling aspect is really what cost her. She was only able to like get to the clinch area. And when she was able to get there, she didn't really have a whole lot of ways to get the fight to the ground. She, the original way she tried to get the fight to the ground by trying to hit a throw. She ended up falling backwards. She's phenomenal once she hits the ground. But I think if you, if you know you're that good. You need to start throwing caution to the wind. Why don't we see like an Imanari roll? Why don't we see anytime you got her press to the fence, just drop down on an ankle lock, something like that. There comes a time, I think, in, in, in any fight, when you're down, when you know you're down, your coaches are telling you you're down, you need that last round, you need a finish. Those are the situations you need to throw caution to the wind. Um, there's, there's been fights in the past that I've had where I've actually regretted not throwing caution to the wind. Cause when I started to throw caution to the wind, I had a little bit more success. Um, and I'll give you guys, if you guys want to go back and watch that fight was the clay Guido fight. I took that fight, um, against him. I was a little bit on short notice, but I was very just unprepared for him. Did not expecting the, the tenacity and just the aggression and as well as his wrestling being as good as it was. But I kept every time I get, get taken down and getting taken down, I would just pull the guard 
and just hang out there just thinking I could get a submission. Well, as the fight went on, got sweaty and it was less and less likely. Um, I eventually finally in the fifth round was able to kind of like, I threw my, like just through me and my coaches yelling at me, just turn your back, just give the position up to get back up to your feet. And in the fifth round, I did that. There was a little bit more of success to get back up to your feet. That's kind of the position that she's in. When you know your leaps and bounds above somebody on the ground, there's really no concern. And you don't need to chase after that person. I like kind of, I mean, I know he's not coming off of a, a, a great, he's not coming off of a win, but is uh, Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall is someone who uses like the long, lanky, like, uh, head kicks, kind of the side kicks, the the long jabs, and like things like that to kind of keep you at bay. Another top jujitsu guy that used to do that very well was Nino Shrembri. Is it back in the pride days? He would just throw head kicks because he knew that if you caught the leg, that you would probably fall down on top of him, and he was okay with that because then he would pull you into guard and start to attack. She is leaps abound. Mackenzie Durham is leaps and bounds above everybody else on the ground. She is phenomenal. There's no doubt about that. But she lacks the wrestling. And I was listening to Paul Felder, who does a phenomenal job behind the mic, by the way. And I've said this. I think someone was criticizing him a couple weeks ago. I think it was Marvin Vittori. And I just jumped in. I was like, hey, man, Paul, you're, you fucking do a phenomenal job. You're absolutely amazing behind the mic. I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, obviously, I'm going to lean towards D.C. But I, outside of D.C., I don't know if there's anybody behind that mic that does a better job than him. I mean. John Anik does a separate job. People don't understand what John Anik does is, is special. You know, um, and I feel that way about all of, um, the play by play fighter, uh, play, uh, play by play, um, callers. They are just, it's impressive what they can do. They got to do the commercials. They weave through the traffic. They've got the background search. They do everything. They're phenomenal. All of them. I mean, you got Morrow, you've got Anik, you know, um, Sean Grandy. You know, there's a lot of top level ones that are out there doing it and they're doing a great job. But Paul Felder behind the mic is absolutely amazing. And when I sit and watch a fight and I see and I can hear Paul Felder's voice, it kind of soothes me and calms me down and lets me know, like, I'm getting the right knowledge. And so when I'm listening to him say, like, she needs to 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 do whatever she can to get in, not just in terms of whatever she can to get in, but to take her coach's advice, punch your way in, try the one jab, and then do a double punch to come back in on the second time, get to the clinch. Those type of things, I, I love hearing from a good commentator, and he did a phenomenal job tonight, and it was great to watch, especially that whole main card. He was he was on point with a lot of things. And so, uh, great job, Paul. And But with Mackenzie Dern, when you're that good, you need to start, just throwing caution to the wind at times, not on just on your striking because she was putting her head down, Dave. And she was like, just throwing the punch And majority of the time who um, Rodriguez is taller than her. She was swinging over the top of her and Rod Rodriguez was just dipping her head and able to come out on the backside. And I was thinking to myself, how, like she's a lot taller, not just a little bit taller. She's a lot taller than McKenzie and McKenzie was just winging it, putting her head down. There was a moment in the fight. I want to say it was in the fourth round where she threw the overhand right and missed and she got spun around and Rodriguez was behind her. And I was thinking Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey all over again. And then in just in that moment, you could see Rodriguez touch her with her hands. Both hands were on McKenzie Dern. And all she had to do was let the head kick go, I believe, on the left side. 
And if that, that, I mean, she turned right into that. It was almost like, I mean, I'm going to pick on myself here a little bit too. It was almost the Eve's Ed where Josh Thompson knocked out all over again. It was that, if that's pretty much exactly kind of what happened with Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm, it was like one of those moments you're thinking to yourself, oh shit, don't do that. So that's what was going through my mind. Overall though, Mackenzie Dern showed that she needs to work on her wrestling. She needs to work on closing that distance and possibly taking a page out of other fighters' books, like the Ryan Hall, the Nino Shrembry, where you're throwing heavy head kicks, but you're standing your ground. Those guys would stand right in the middle of the right in the middle of the, the ring or the cage. Ryan moves a little bit. Ryan Hall moves around a little bit more. Um and and then like throws the side kicks and the head kicks. But she needs to probably take a page out of that book. And make people come to them. So when they step in, it's easier for them to get into the easier for her to get into the body lock, easier for her to get into that clinch, that over under, or possibly even just snatch the leg. She also needs, I think, to work a little bit on catching kicks because there was moments there where she was getting kicked to the body and she could have caught the kicks and got the takedown that way. I think she had a moment in the beginning of the fifth round um, to she caught the kick and like kind of like stepped behind the knee and then try to like cross cross body her with the forearm and she wasn't able to get her fully down because she was so tired i don't think people understand how difficult and how exhausting it is after that second round that mckenzie dern had of just being on top she was also fighting off a submission by rodriguez which was very impressive not that it was close but it was enough to frustrate mckenzie because she knew she only had a certain amount of time to do work on the top so in those scenarios in those situations mckenzie dern had the top position but she didn't do as much as she could have enforcing the attack, enforcing the submission attack, and the finish. I think had she spent more time trying to really slowly and methodically get to that submission, which I shouldn't be saying too much because she's so damn good on the ground, but she, I felt like there was moments where she could have went for the, the arm bar, where Rodriguez's arms were extended, and she didn't do it. She decided she she decided to go back to neutral position, like basically the mount position, or, or stay on the back, or she decided to start hammer fisting from the top which she has heavy strikes is what Rodriguez said towards at the end of in the interview. Overall, she did a great job in terms of she took a lot of abuse. She's tougher than nails. That's one thing. Two is the fight was there was moments in there where she could have had more success had she listened to Perillo a little bit more. And then in the third way is that when she did get to that top position, she should have spent a little bit more time methodically and slowly making Rodriguez work to get out of those positions instead of she got a little careless in, in terms of she spent a lot of time fighting to keep the top position or fighting to keep the back instead of just con controlling and keeping the back and then trying to set up the submission uh, as best she can. I look at I say I look at a lot of people like like a BJ Penn. He gets on your back and he doesn't just like start attacking real fast. What he does is he slowly starts trying to trap your arm between his legs, you know, when he's on your back and then he starts trying to like get under the chin. He starts multi, he starts changing hands. You know, there's different ways of doing it. Obviously she knows all the ways of doing it. Um, but she still has that young, that young fighter in her where she, she is, she makes a lot of mistakes still, especially on the feet, but she's gotten a lot better. Big John and I were talking about this last week. She's gotten a lot better on the feet than when she first started in the UFC, but she's learning on the fly. That's the one thing I got to tip my hat to her. She's really learning on the fly when it comes to, you know, they just, she got into the UFC and she relatively didn't know anything. She not only she knew anything on the feet, you know, she just came in, relied on her jiu-jitsu and that's what, and that's, this is what, that's what's got her to where she is now. Um, so, Overall, I think a tough, gritty performance by her, but she's got a long ways to go. 
But it was, uh, I think it was good for her to go a hard five rounds. And she had to. She had to suck it up. She got through it. Um, you know, but look, let's not take away from Rodriguez and what she did. Let me explain to you what she did. She did a lot of great things. You know, I know I just ranted a little bit on Mackenzie Dern. But Dave, what was your takeaway um, from uh, Marina Rodriguez? I don't really have a takeaway. I just, I didn't enjoy, like, I mean, I came in, obviously, just watched the main event, and, like, I came in with the expectation Mackenzie Dern was just gonna, was just gonna finish that fight, but, you know, I, I, uh, I just, I was kind of half-assed watching it, to be honest. No, I gotcha, I gotcha, okay, I understand it, I, I get it, you, you kind of half-assed a lot of things, I get it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, so, overall, Marina Rodriguez, um, she did a phenomenal job keeping the distance, kept the long striking, didn't didn't overcommit then more than like say three punches in a row, except for when she landed the, the first two or she landed the second and the third. That's just fight IQ. John and I have always talked about fight IQ. You're gonna find a lot of uh a lot of people start to you know use those terms in terms of that's you're really showing what you know inside the cage and how it how you control your opponent and where they go. And so I will also talk about Fight IQ in the um, in the uh, uh, what's her name uh, Agapova fight. So I'll also talk about the Fight IQ in that fight as well. But in this fight, Mar Marina Rodriguez had a lot of great exchanges. She didn't overcommit on things. She stayed long. And I, what I really liked a lot was as she started seeing McKenzie get tired after the second round in the third, fourth, and fifth, she didn't forget about the body. She started touching the body with the jab. She started touching it with the right hand. She started pushing the, she started push kicking the body as well. And the last thing that I liked the most though was anytime McKenzie started to kind of come in a little bit and she was kind of rushing in, she would finally started using that little quad kick, which she, everyone knows we just talked, John and I just talked about this a couple weeks ago. I don't like the, that little, uh, what is it called? That little side kick to the quad. I don't like that because sometimes it goes to the knee. What she was doing today was very impressive. It was working. It was effective. And as much as the conversation that we've had about it, I would like it more to be, I wouldn't say legal. It's hard for me to say legal, you know, but it has to be, I think, above the knee. Like, it, that, but how do you regulate that if they step in? We can go off on a tangent on that. That's a separate, separate issue, separate conversation. But that little quad kick or that, that, uh, that fine, that, oh, I don't even know what the, I forgot what it was called. Anyway, the side kick to the, to the thigh. That was beautifully done by her. That was keeping McKenzie uh, at bay. And the more of those that she took, it takes away that explosiveness for McKenzie to close the distance and come in. It also gives her something else to think about. Like if I jump in or I run in too much and she hits me with that, she's going to stuff me right in my, in my place, potentially hurt my knee. Then I'll be out for longer. There was a lot of things, you know, I think that McKenzie Durham was having to deal with. The long range striking, the speed, the fact that she wasn't really throwing more than two and three, you know, unless she had landed the, the, the two and the three. And then she was circling out, trying to keep her back off the fence. She did a great job of getting her underhooks. You know, she got taken down on the second, but man, what a dog. She was in some crappy positions, you know, in a bunch of exchanges. But like I said, when I was talking about Mackenzie Dern, she had threatened that side. The, and it wasn't really a side choke. It was more of like an uh, anaconda. And when she did that, though, is um, when she was doing that, what that did, because that 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 locked up Mackenzie Dern for probably, I'd say, a good minute, maybe even longer, maybe a little less. It was somewhere in that minute range. She had locked her up for quite a while. Well, that's a minute or whatever of not taking any damage. And that's a minute of not having to survive with Mackenzie Dern on top of you, trying to chase arms, you know, trying to get to your back, get to your neck, all those situations 
that was a whole minute just wasted away with her in the top, with her on the bottom position, but threatening a submission. Mackenzie Dern fought out of there, but you could sell, you could tell Mackenzie was getting frustrated because she was doing whatever she could, punching the stomach, trying to go knee on belly. She tried to go north south. She was struggling to get out of those positions and, and out of that one position there, and that and she could just tell that the time was wasting away. And in that situation, like I was saying with Mackenzie Dern is that when she got to those top positions, she should have been more patient, realizing that there was nothing there. She was panicking to get out of there. She was like, she should have just really kind of waited out and just kept, I mean, those are the situations I think fighters sometimes should start talking to their opponent. Like, yeah, it's not close. You know, you're wasting your energy. Your arms are going to blow up. Like those type of things start playing with the other fighter mentally. Like, yeah, you think you're going to submit me? I'm a, you know, like, you know, I'm a Kinsey Dern. Like she could have said things like that. Like you're not, you're not even close. And that would have put her, that would have put Marina Rodriguez in that mindset of, man, if I if I don't get this, or are my arms going to feel the same in this in the third round? Like, there's a lot of questions to be answered if McKenzie started talking to her. Um, but overall, Marina Rodriguez did a phenomenal job. She was sticking and moving, keeping her back off the fence, using that push kick up the middle, using the long range punches to the body as well. Those were nice. She had a couple really nice body shots, and that little uh, quad kick was amazing. And so those type of things, I think, has really um, catapulted her. I think once after the second round, she knew she had survived. McKenzie wasn't too eager to get in the takedown right off the bat at the beginning of the third. She got her win back, and she just started touching McKenzie Dern, and McKenzie had no answer. There was really only one double-leg takedown attempt. The rest of it was all just trying to punch to the clinch, recklessly with her head down, reaching for the head. And that's a, that's a remedy. That's that's something she needs to remedy as soon as possible. Because when she gets into that, she gets into that, into those. Um, she's already in the top four, but I'm saying when she gets to that number two, number three of the champ, you can't have those kind of weaknesses when you get there. You might be so damn good on the ground, but you can't afford to have those kind of weaknesses getting to the champ. And so the champ is on an all-time high in terms of confidence. They're the champ. They're feeling everything. Now, sure, maybe they're concerned about your jiu-jitsu, but they also have studied you enough coming up that they know they can see and probably learn to exploit your weaknesses and the amount of time it's going to take you to get to them. And so overall, though, like I thought it was a good fight. It wasn't a great fight, but last week's fight wasn't great either, but it was still a good fight. All the fighters fought tough. Uh, McKenzie fought tough. Marina Rodriguez fought tough. You're going to see probably just a swap in position. I think you're going to see Marina Rodriguez jump up to number four, and you're going to see McKenzie Dern drop down to number five. They oh, they have two number fours. I don't know why. Well, she should be five, right? Because um, yeah, that's just well, they, I think a mistake. Yeah, they just said that she was ranked four. I mean, like, does she have to be five, or would she, would the Yawn girl? I don't know how to say Zhao Nan. Um, Zhao Nan. She, she's didn't she just lose? Zhao Nan uh, just lost to somebody. I thought. Oh, maybe she didn't. Um, Carla was it? Carla Esparza? Yeah, it was Carla Esparza. Yeah, it was Carla Esparza. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Carla's um, number one, number three. two, somewhere in there, I believe. She's yeah. three, number three. Um, so I think what you're gonna see is you're gonna see Carla probably get the next title shot after Wei Wei Li Zhang and Rose Nama Yunus. So that'll be uh, good. But overall, fight was a good. I mean, I thought it was a good fight. It wasn't a great fight. Hard fought fight for Mackenzie Dern. I think she learned a lot in a five round fight where it went the distance, where she took a lot of shots. She realized how tough she is. She knows what it's like now to get to be exhausted in there going into the championship rounds. 
and what it's like to not be able to control um, the tempo of the fight, not being able to control what what happens in the fight. So she's going to go back to the drawing board. And she'll, she'll make another run. I mean, she, how old is Mackenzie Dern? Uh, I, think I think she's younger. 30, 32, I think it was. Oh, is she 32? Oh, sorry, 28, 28. Oh, she's 28. I, was, I thought she was 32. like, I thought she was 30, to be honest. 29, 30. So she's 28. Good stuff. You know, she looked like she was in phenomenal shape. She looked in phenomenal shape, but um, just trying to pressure, trying to get the takedown. When you know you don't have a lot of takedowns, like even that takedown she got, she went for the throw. She didn't get it. She just pulled her down on top of her and went right to the, right to uh, attacking the leg lock. Not really attacking the leg lock, but using that leg lock kind of X guard position to like sweep to get to the top. It was nicely done. She had thrown the leg over to the hip, hit that. Uh, she would put the the. Re- the reverse heel hook position on the leg. She basically just tucked the foot back underneath her and sat back up on top of her. Nicely done. It was beautiful work. Um, okay, Randy Brown and Jared Gooden. Good fight. I thought it should have been. I thought it should have went the way it went. I, I don't know. There was. Um, I think it was. I think it was Anik. Anik was saying, or some. I don't know who was saying. There. I think it was Anik was saying that he thought it was one one going into the third. Maybe even Paul said that. But either way. There was no way. I thought I thought Randy Brown won the first. He definitely won the second. Uh, it was a good fight up until, you know, it was, it was competitive. Here's the thing. All that Gooden had to do was, like, land a couple more shots. He had to be a little bit more active in landing the cleaner, harder shots. I had a 30-27. I don't know what judge. I think one of the judges gave it to Gooden, and I was thinking to myself, that should have never have happened. Um that Randy Brown won all, all he won all the fight. He won he won the whole fight. I thought he won all three rounds. Overall, though, good fight. Long, lanky. Like I like to say, he was long, tall, long, and lanky, and he utilizes every single bit of that. Let's talk about the toughness, though, of Randy Brown. Dislocates his toe, his big toe, after push kicking Gooden in the face. Like he does, he does the offense. He dislocates his own toe. That's like some shit that would happen to me doing it to Dave. You know, like granite chin that Dave's got. It just like probably just break my toe, pop it right out. But overall, it was a good, it was a good performance by Randy Brown. Stayed long. I don't know how he absorbed so many calf kicks. The calf kicks were on point by Gooden. Um, I thought he should have kind of went more to them earlier in the fight because he was having success early in the fight. And they kind of got away from him a little bit and started kicking the upper leg. And then he started kicking the inside leg. And I know I know uh, Brown was switching stance. But every time he got Randy Brown going backwards, he should have been trying to tattoo that leg. But overall, one of the best. It was one of the nicest, cleanest performances. I think, is he is he at 185? Randy Brown, he's 185. I believe at 18, he's not in the rankings. Oops. Uh, what was? But I, I think I think him and Kevin Holland would be a good fight. Randy Brown and Kevin Holland would be a good fight. Like, oh, 170. Okay. Oh, that's maybe that's why they were talking about how big he was or how tall he was for the weight class. I was like, because Jared looks small. So Jared Gooden, and then you got Randy Brown, and um, but good fight, man. Good fight overall. Dealing with the dealing with the um, the toe. And he could tell he just kept adjusting it, kept adjusting it. Like Paul Felder was like, he keeps stepping on it, almost like trying to put it back into place or just trying to, like sometimes you step on it. Sometimes you like put pressure on it to ease the pain too for a second. I mean, he had, he had, uh, he had some good stuff, was doing a lot of great things. He also had success with that little front thigh kick, you know, um, the oblique kick. There's the word I was looking for. I was trying to think of it as well. The oblique kick. Dave, pay attention, buddy. Talk to me, Goose. You got to tell me these things. <laughs> I was trying to so, remember. I couldn't remember. I was yeah. just like, I had a word in my head. I was thinking like, I don't know. I There's not much know. in there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a it was a nice oblique kick, man. It was uh he had he also was using the oblique kick to kind of keep Gooden away because Gooden's got power in his hands. 
and was utilizing that calf kick as well. So every time he went to hit that calf kick, he would try to throw that little oblique kick, and that was nice. He was doing some good stuff, very nice stuff, good, good, uh, good at chaining things together, good at putting the combination together. Sometimes he'd go push kick, then he'd come back with the hands. Sometimes he'd go hands, and he'd come back to the, the oblique kick. He did a lot of good stuff. So Randy Brown, great job, great win. Uh, Nicolau versus Elliott. Um, good fight. Hard fought fight. And I really believe, like I this is what I was talking about with Paul Felder. I really believe Paul Felder called it is the last two and a half minutes of the third of the third round, he decided to sit on the bottom and hold that lockdown position. He had locked basically like a rubber guard position. They call it like a lockdown or, you know, um not a lockdown. They call it um uh something control. Mission control. They call it mission control. It's kind of a very similar position to mission control where he hooked in between the leg, almost like trying to attack Omoplata, but then locked his legs and um, and was just holding him there, hoping that I think the ref was going to stand him up. But at the end of a, of a three-round fight with two and a half minutes left, he just took you down. You don't have a minute and a half to spare, hoping that the ref's going to stand you up. So that was wasted time. He should have been a lot busier. Sweep, submit, get up, or submit, sweep, get up. You've got to be attacking the submission. If you don't get it, go right from that submission to your sweep. And if you don't get that, then you just kick them back and get up. And then I feel the same way about going going submission first. If you don't get the submission, go sweep. Then go sweep right after that. If you don't get that, go submission. They're interchangeable. And so if you do those things, I think you have a better chance of getting up. He had just locked him down, held him there with two and a half minutes left. And he hadn't really won the first two and a half minutes either. It was a close two and a half minutes. So when he lost the takedown and then just basically was on, um, Nicolau was on top for that amount of time. It kind of, it kind of let the judges know like, Hey, he's either, he's either tired or he just doesn't have the answer to get back up to his feet. And that's not something that you want to see from Elliot. Like that's not something I would normally see from Elliot. I'm surprised he should have came let that, that like, last ditch effort type mentality of getting back up to his feet. Because like, like I said though, too, with Mackenzie Dern, there comes a time in the fight, which for Elliot was the last two and a half minutes. You've got to give your back. You've got to just stand up. You've got to go to the half guard position. You, you can't just hang out there in that position. Whereas Mackenzie Dern was stuck on the feet, but there was never an attempt to like, Imanari roll or trying to like shoot on the single leg and then try to lift or punch into the clinch and then dropping down on a double or dropping down on a single and trying to pull her away from the fence. There was never those moments for either one of them. So eventually that ended up costing them the fight. And Tim Elliott is a better fighter than that. He's a more knowledgeable fighter than McKenzie Dern when it comes to that portion of the fight IQ. He should have that in his bag. He should have known like, look, I'm going to lose this fight if I don't get this thing, if I don't get back to my feet and at least start touching him with my hands or get a takedown on him to equal this thing out. And that never, it never came, it never came about. And so that was, I think that was a hard part. That was, that was a hard, it was, it wasn't a hard, it was easier for the judges to make that decision. And so it was, uh, it, I thought Nicolau looked good. He was, he had, I had him losing the first round. I think I had him winning the second and he started coming on and then he started coming on the second, he had a great second round, I believe it was. And then the third round, um, that little takedown at the two and a half minute mark really secured him the fight because Tim Elliott kind of pretty much gave it away. Um, Agapova versus Mazo. It was, it was good. Um, with Agapova, she is, she's long and lanky, but then Mazo is longer and lankier than her. 
but she she was throwing her stuff with power. What she needs to, and I'm gonna do it. I'm really criticizing, but Agapova needs to, to for her to get to that next level of competition. She's gonna need to tighten up her striking a little bit. Her right hook is real kind of um, loopy, and she always and she the whole night she was circling right into that power of Mazo. So what she needs to do is make sure that she tries to she mixes it up. I've never been someone that's always been committed to saying, "Hey, I need to make sure my right foot is on the outside." You know, on the outside of my opponent, when you're when you're someone's conventional and someone's a southpaw, I mix it up. So, like, let's I'm going to use Nate Diaz as an example. Is sure I want to keep my foot on the outside, but if you guys go back and watch the fight, I kept switching stances and I kept switching directions as well. So I would switch my stance and I would circle to the right, and then I'd switch my stance back, and then I'd circle to the left, and I would try to circle away from his power punch. Or if I was in my conventional, I'd circle, you know, into his power punch. But I also had a higher hand up on that side for defense. And I had I had already set up some combinations that I was going to throw from that position. And so with uh, Agapova, she had this, she was kind of throwing the same combinations, which is fine because they were landing. She was having success. So why change it up? Keep going to the well. Um, <clears throat> Mazov didn't really have an answer for it. And if I was, if I was Mazo's corner, though, what you what she, what they should have been telling her was look she's she's circling towards your power hand and if if anyone's circling towards your power hand you got to make them regret going that way so we used to do this drill inside the inside the and we did it in a ring not in a cage at aka is we had a coach that would circle towards your power hand and what you would do is you would throw the right hand or you would throw the head kick on that side but right after you threw that you would come back with like a left hook and a straight right right after that you want to you want to stop their momentum from them going to your power hand make them stop in place so if you throw the head kick on that side they stop to block then you come right back with the straight right what that does that puts them right where you want them to be after you throw your head kick so your head kick is not hard. You throw the head kick, boom. You stop the momentum. You get them to stop right in front of you. Throw the straight right and the left hook and maybe finish back up with the head kick again or a body kick on that side when you're going against conventional versus southpaw. And in that in this scenario, Mazo wasn't really doing anything. She just kept trying to walk after her and throw straight punches. She threw a couple loopy ones, but they weren't there. You know, you could just tell that she was getting she was didn't have the power that Agapova had. Agapova was throwing with a little bit more speed as well. Um, I thought I thought there was moments where Mazo could have had had success, but she wasn't pushing the pace fast enough. Also, too, why not get into like this? Is another thing with Paul Felder, he said you got to have to change it up. You got to get in there. You got to get in there and mix it up. Like in terms of don't just keep trying to stand. You're getting pieced up. And I've always said this about it. Like if fight fight IQ is this. Make those adjustments. If you're losing on the fight. You've got to make the adjustment. Not saying that you need to get the takedown. You don't need to force the takedown. Don't make yourself so tired like you did with like McKenzie Dern did where she made herself so tired trying to get the takedown and put more pressure on her to get it that she got exhausted and wasn't able to fight the rest of the fight really. She was just labored after that whole thing. But you go out there, you get you you shoot it on the double legs, you press her to the fence, and then you just hang out there on her. If she gets away, she gets away. Because they were more equal on the feet than Dern and Rodriguez. So Mazo and and Agapova, they were very equal, I believe, on the feet. Agapova had more power, was a little bit faster, and she was with a little bit more tenacity, like throwing her combinations. Mazo started not having that success when she started getting pieced up. So now, if you start if you start mixing in the takedowns, if you start making making her think that I'm going to shoot, that split second of hesitation will make a huge difference 
on whether she gets to, or whether she get, um, gets off or not. So if Agapova is a, a hesitant for say a split second or maybe even a full second, then Mazel is able to land a combination or potentially get the takedown. So either way, it's a success. So you've got to like in terms of fight IQ, the corner of Mazel should have been saying like, let's mix this, let's mix this up a little bit. Let's punch our way into the clinch, press her to the fence, maybe drop down on the single leg or the double leg. And if we can't get it, come right back up to the body lock if it's not there. And there was never, there was never a moment in there that, where she was doing that. And she had like one or two opportunities where she pressed to the clinch, but then she didn't really, she didn't really do, she didn't really have a lot of success there. One time she got put in, the, in a guillotine. Didn't seem like it was that tight, but she had, she was forced to hand fight out of there. She wasted quite a bit of time trying to get out of there. So it looked like she was losing even when they were in the clinch. And so she struggled the whole fight. There was never a moment where Maza was winning this fight. Agapova was winning that fight from the beginning to the end. So good performance by her. Good stuff. Paul Felder was on point tonight, like in a lot of the stuff that he was talking about. Great stuff. I normally don't listen to the commentary, but damn, it's hard not to when I know Paul Felder's calling the fights. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, damn, this guy, he's so good. Like he, he, he breaks it down step by step. And I'm like, he's, he's doing, he's doing a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. Um, Chris uh, Gutierrez, you know, it was a close, I thought it was, it was close, but I thought, I thought Gutierrez was winning. Um, I don't see how it was a split though. I thought Gutierrez, uh, had definitely won unanimously. And so it was, it was a good fight. There was, he was just getting off first. He was blocking all the kicks. Um, I don't know how you say his name. Calaris, Calaris or whatever. He was, he was having a hard time putting the combinations together with his hands and his kicks. Now I know both of them are heavy kickers in terms of the both of them kick a lot is what I mean. They both have heavy kicks as well, by the way, but both of them are heavy kickers. Both of them use a lot of their weapons or considered or starting off with their kicks. So they kick first and throw their combination, which a lot of people cannot do because they leave themselves open um, to be countered because their kicks are sometimes slow or sometimes they're lazy or sometimes they're not on point or sometimes they're telegraphed. So not a lot of people like to kick first. What they do is they like to throw the hands first, then throw the kick behind because people normally put their hands up to block their face. And when they do that, what that does, is it opens up the either the midsection or the legs to be kicked without being caught. And so that's a lot of people will like to do that. A lot of fighters would like to do that first is throw the hands first. I love to kick first. And then throw the hands and then maybe finish with a kick. Or you throw the hands, kick, and then come back with the hands. So they don't think you're done. Even if it's only like a throw the jab, then throw the kick, come back, and then come back with a three-piece. You know, hit them with the Masvidal. That kind of thing. So that type of stuff go that type of stuff goes a long ways in dictating how the fight is fought. Because now you've got your now you've got your opponent guessing on everything that happens. And so that's that's one of those, that's one of those situations where um, Gutierrez, uh, Gutierrez was, was on point tonight. He was touching him, touch him. And even when he wasn't, when he felt like he was too close, something that like a lot of fighters have a hard time with, I'm me included when I was fighting, it was hard for me to, to lunge in with an elbow. I just, I had that, I had a hard time doing that. I felt like, okay, if I miss, I'm going to get countered. I felt if I just felt like the range was never there. I never really got that down. And he was on point. Gutierrez was on point. He, he was he was kind of shepherding the, he was parrying or shepherding um, the jab or the punch and then coming in with the, coming in with the elbow or he was slipping inside and throwing the elbow, which was just phenomenal. Great work. Good stuff. I mean, like he had a great fight overall, you know, like I thought, I thought that main card was, that was a pretty good night of fights, you know, in terms of, in terms of the level of, or the level of competition for each other 
it was pretty equal. And what we saw was, what we saw was two talented fighters on both sides just getting after each other and just seeing kind of where they're at before they get into the rankings or where they're at in the rankings. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a good night of fights. I thought the main car was good. Um, you know, and they they fought. They all fought their asses off. They all fought, and then some of them came up a little bit short, and some of them had some great performances. You know, but I think I think um, you know who stole the night was there was two. I thought Agapova stole the night, and I thought uh, McKenzie. I thought not McKenzie, but I thought Marina Rodriguez stole the night. I thought she had a great performance. She looked she looked fabulous, and um, good stuff, man. Good card overall. I thought it was a good card. Let's talk about mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Wayne in if you guys use. That little QR code right there, that will give you a little extra spending cash when you use the promo code WayneIn at mybookie.ag. Also, with football coming to start, you've got the World Series coming in, the playoffs of baseball. I'm telling you right now, there's lots of ways to win money. Don't miss out on that at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code WayneIn. Use that QR code right there. And what they're going to do is give you a little extra money because you used our promo code of WayneIn. You guys, there's plenty of things to bet on. Basketball's coming back. Football's coming back. Football is back pretty much. And then you've also got hockey coming back around. I think they just started the season as well. I'm telling you right now, if you like to put a little bit of money down here and there, Try mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Wayne in. Use that QR code for the bonus cash with the promo code Wayne in. All right, let's hop into this first piece uh, around Patricio Pitbull. He has decided to vacate the belt at 155 mm-hmm. so that he can focus on 145. He came out and said, starting today, I'm no longer the Bellator lightweight champion. Honor and family come first. When I first won the lightweight belt, it was just about revenge. It was still an honor, but it was the loss at forty-five. But with the loss at forty-five, I'm starting over. It's time for the lightweight division to move on, and for Petruke to have his shot at the title. My focus is on AJ and him only. On November fifth, my brother will fight for the lightweight title against Peter Quilly in Ireland, and will bring the title to Brazil. This is really like from the moment he won the title and he knocked out Michael Chandler. He was just saying, I'll relinquish that title once my brother gets a title shot. And there was there was a banter back and forth that potentially the two of them would fight each other, which would have been great. You know, that straight up, uh, what was that movie? Warrior? I think it was called Warrior. It was an MMA fight with, uh, was it Dan Hardy? Dan Hardy was in it, I believe his name is. Yeah, it was Dan Hardy and someone else. Uh, it, was a, it was a good little, uh, it was a good little movie. Anyways. There was like two brothers that ended up fighting each other, I think, in the finals of some tournament, I believe it was. But it was a it was a movie I was supposed to be in. I think Anthony Johnson was in it. A bunch of a couple other fighters were in it. But I was supposed to be in it. I was scripted for one of the main guys. One of the main guys that got knocked out. <laughs> one of the main guys that got knocked out slumped through the ropes. I was scripted for that. And then last minute I had to pull out because uh Strike Force had offered me a fight. And so I taken the fight. It was, I believe, it was the third fight with Gilbert Melendez. Was the third fight, and so I just said, I'll just take that fight over the, I'll take that fight over, you know, over um, doing the movie, which was good. I'm, I'm super glad. That was one of those moments where I was like, ah, oh, man, could have been a star. In a way, in a way, you got <laughs> to live it through your fight with Petrucci, right? Because he did knock you. Out, so yeah, 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 yeah. Well, oh, just rubbing the. <laughs> salt in the wound there huh buddy big john's not I, I mean i said you know what now that big john is not here i'm gonna just strictly just blame it on him he cannot defend himself it was all john's fault <laughs> oh man but look overall i believe this is a great fight i think uh peter quilly and patricky pitbull they've already fought Patri- uh, i had patricky winning the fight up until the moment of the cut and then he got cut 
and the fact that the two of these guys, they're both they're both good fighters. You know, Patrick got the power. Patrick got the. I feel like he's got the speed. Quilly's got the conditioning, and the cardio, and he's got the output. He's somebody that, and he's also got the size. He is the enormous 155 pounder. He's tall. He's long. He's lanky, and he uses it. He's got a lot of movement and mobility. And I think uh, you're going to see Patrick come out kicking like he did in the first fight. He's going to try to slow him down, try to get him to stand in front of him, and try to hit him with some big punches. Uh, but Peter Quilly will still be there. He will still be there in the second, still be in the third, you know. I mean, outside of getting clipped, you know, I think I think you're going to see Peter Quilly in that fight. It's going to be a great fight. I think the two of them now being pushed to the main event in Dublin, in Ireland, it's going to be absolutely amazing. If you guys have not watched or been to a fight there in Dublin, I'm telling you right now, man. If you guys haven't bought your tickets to that fight yet, you got you got the Jimmy Show against Patchy Mix also. That's going to be a great fight. Uh, James Gallagher, he's fighting Patchy Mix. Patchy Mix is nasty good on the ground. James Gallagher is pretty damn good on the ground himself. Patchy Mix is tall, long, and lanky. And when he gets to your back, he's just nothing but finishes. Every person that I've ever talked to about him training with, they're like, gosh, he's just difficult to deal with. I'm good friends with Jake Shields. Jake Shields has been like, hey, he's like him and Jake have been training quite a bit together. And he's like, man, he's the real deal. I was like, yeah, I call his fights. I know he's the real deal. But he's like, no, no, he's he's leaps and bounds above a lot of people that I've trained with and grappled with. And he's phenomenal. And, um, you know, since he's been there at Extreme Couture's kind of, you know, training with the Jake, training with Jake Shields and other guys that are in that area. I mean, I can't wait to see how much better he's gotten since uh since uh, his last fight but uh patricky this is his moment man this is it if you don't win it right now i mean I, I don't know if he's gonna end up getting another title shot so he's gonna have to he's gonna have to make sure that he's got his conditioning on point because he's had problems with his conditioning like he's had problems in that four in in that in that later second round third round and those are three round fights you get into that fourth and fifth you better i know he's got the dog in him there's no doubt like when you talk about that's what they're called the pitbull brothers because they're dogs, man. They they will stand and bang in the they'll stand and bang to the to the end of the bell all the way till till they go out on their shields. But the thing is, though, is you've got to have you've got to fight smart in those moments. You got to have the conditioning to make sure you fight smart in those moments. And so I don't know if he's gonna have I don't know if he's gonna have that same type of output in the fourth and fifth. And I'm not trying to criticize him at all. He's phenomenal. I mean, he's he beat me, you know, and um, I tip my hat to him for that. But it's like. He's he's he has that little knock on his game is that he does tend to slow down as the fight goes on because every fighter that has almost every fighter that has huge knockout power like like the Pitbull brothers do they generally tend to slow down. Patricio doesn't have as much of a slow down position, uh, slow down gear as Patricio does. He tends to slow down more because he throws everything. He loads up and throws everything with power, whether it's a leg kick, whether it's a striking, whatever it is, he throws a lot of heat. So I think if he's in phenomenal shape, it's going to be a really hard fight for Peter Quilly. But Peter Quilly is a dog. He's someone that, like, we should, if you go back and you watch the Ryan Scope fight, he was picking Ryan Scope apart in the first round. It was like target practice. Then Ryan Scope comes out in the second round right from the beginning, hits him with a combination, then finishes it with a head kick, drops Peter Quilly. Peter Quilly takes a beating for probably, I'd say, a good minute, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. But then gets back to his feet. And just wrecks Ryan Scope. Just touches him to the body. Touches him to the head. Just puts it on him. Now that's a dog. That's somebody like like Patricky. The two of them are just dogs. And so that's what makes this fight so fun. What's next? Alright, next topic. Um, have you seen all these uh, former and current 
uh, MMA fighters going into rest, uh, pro wrestling. And for the most part, it seems to be like they're going to AEW right now. Probably because they're getting offered good paydays. But mm-hmm. Masvidal was one of them. And it looks like Junior DeSantos, um, off the back of Masvidal being there, um, is going to go there and, and stay there. Um, he's 37 years old. He was there a few weeks ago with Masvidal, with Paige Van Zandt and Austin. Uh, a bunch of other people that, uh, that I recognize from the MMA scene. Um, and it looks like he's going to pro wrestling. Bro, this is your world, bro. I don't even. Yeah. I have no idea about this world. I did see the short clip though of Masvidal throwing the. They called the Ben Asker knee, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I saw him throwing that. Who did he do that to? He did it to Chris Jericho, who's you know one of the biggest guys in the whole yeah. entire sport. Um, yeah. But DeSantos has never really been known to be like a talker or be like any of that, right? So it's kind of like no, a weird. No, but he's not known for that, but he's always been known as being one of the more athletic heavyweights in in the MMA game. You know, I mean, for such a big guy, he's built, he's he's a big guy, but he's pretty damn athletic. I mean, if you look at the history of the fights that he's had, I mean, Cain Velasquez was pretty damn athletic as well. Maybe he didn't look it because he didn't look the part, but he was extremely athletic. I mean, the grinder in terms of wrestling, in terms of, like, I could do cartwheels, I mean, he can do backflips like DC, but he, you know, he could do it all. You know, when it came to, to to doing whatever it is we were doing for the little guy training, he could do it as well. And when you look at his fights against not just Kane, but other fighters, his movement, his mobility, he moves like a lightweight for a guy who's 250, 245, whatever it was he was. But he was he was extremely athletic. So I could see this happening now. I don't know how much they're going to have him talk. I mean, you know, but he's got he's got the energy. He's got a little bit of charisma. He's an extremely nice guy. Every time I've ever met him, every time I've ever talked to him, he's been a phenomenal person. I sat next to his family uh, in the second fight. I believe it was the second fight. They fought in Houston, Kane and uh, Sagano. Uh, Joe Santos. I, when they fought in Houston, I sat right next to his family, and I, I was trying to limit how much I was showing my excitement because you know you don't I don't want to you don't want to be one of those people. But uh, but uh, I mean he ha- he he is he's. He's a phenomenal fighter. I know he's older, but he, he's an athletic person, so I could see him jumping into this. I don't know how much he's going to talk. That's my boy right there, Jake Just Hager, though. Page That's my Austin. boy right there. That's my boy. Jake's Hager, Hager's a stud, man. He's just a great guy. So he's Jake's on Chris guy. Jericho's team. So it's ah. kind of so it's interesting, like just the dynamic of it, and just to kind of see them. And then you know, like I would have never thought I'd see Paige and Austin in there. Well, who, it makes sense guy? because that guy right there. Oh god, I, for, oh, I forgot his name. He's the owner of American Top Team. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. So that okay. would that make that would make sense. Oh, god. Oh, okay. uh, Dan Lambert. Yeah. Dan. So he he's the owner of American Top Team. So he's the guy. That um, that that's a big reason why those that they're probably there. I would um, say that that's the main reason why I would say probably. So that if they makes paired a lot of Dos Santos sense. up with a manager, just like his his mouthpiece, and I think he could. He could yeah, that's perfect. Team. That's perfect. I mean, that's what they used to do in the old WWF days. Yeah. Is that when guys couldn't talk well, they would just pair him up with the manager. Yeah. You know, let let uh, what was his name? Jimmy the Heart. Jimmy the Hitman. Not Hitman Heart. Uh, Jimmy. The mouth, whatever the mouth was, uh, little weasel old, guy used to run around like in a in a leopard yeah, type jacket. God, I can't remember his name. And then what was the other guy? The guy that looked that had like the the '80s haircut that was over his ears, little fat, little fat guy, fat uh, white guy. Paul Bader. That's yeah, this guy. What's, Hart, his, right? what's this guy's name? Yeah, Jimmy Hart. Yeah. I told you it was Jimmy Hart. So Jimmy Hart. And then who's the other guy? There was like a little fat. 
There's there was another little fat manager that used to run around with uh, like an '80s haircut. The, um, is it Paul Bader, the Undertaker's manager? No, 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 no. He was a fat, he was a fat white guy with blonde hair. God, I can't remember his name. I remember um, the Paul Bearer too. I remember him as well. Uh, the it was WWF. Was, yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, blonde, small. Blonde, he, guy, I think blonde. he was. God, who was he with? I'm trying to remember who he managed. He was like a short little. He looked like the Penguin, but he said, "You know, remember the Penguin in uh, <laughs> in the movie Batman? He looked like him." Danny DeVito's penguin. Oh, he looked yeah, like yeah, him. Yeah. He, but he was blonde. He was blonde. He had like a blonde. He had the '80s haircut where like the the hair would hang over his ears. Um, blonde is fat he, manager. Is any any of them? manager manager? Yeah, yeah. Uh, WWF blonde fat manager. <laughs> See if I can find him. Um, no, I don't. I don't think it were. I don't think it's. He was real popular. He was around for a long time. Oh, watch our comment section is gonna blow up, bro. I thought you said you were a fan of WWF. D- I uh, when I was born. When I was jeez, born, I was. Jeez, jeez. Just, anyway, say, just is... say blonde manager in WWF. All right, blonde. Mm, uh, Try that one out. Okay. Blonde manager, WWF. Oh, him there? There you go. Yeah, him. Who's this guy? Uh, the guy in the leather jacket up there. Yeah, that guy. Who's that? Um, uh, damn, why is his name not on there? Uh, Gosh. Like, everything says top yeah. twenty-five managers. It just <laughs> does everything, everything except for his uh, name. Uh, let me geez. click on that. Is this an article or is this going to be? Um, is this God, be, what was his name? It's going to be at the top. Probably he's going to be like. Oh, now you're uh, killing me, bro. I know. I, I thought know. you knew this. It's shit. killing me too. I, it's going to eat away at you all night, though. If you don't know, isn't it? Yeah, it's gonna. It's, it's, it's gonna, gonna be number. He's gonna be Come number on. two on here. Watch Bobby Heenan. Yeah, he, yes. There you go, Bobby oh, Heenan. Man. Bobby oh, the man. Brain. That's right, the Brain. How do you know then, Bobby Brain Heenan? What do you, did you just ask me that? Did you did you really just ask me how do I uh, not know it when it's oh you? God. You actually bought one of these WWE belts and you got hanging over your shoulder every once in a while yeah, while we like, film. It's just up there. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, he used to... What was, it, what was the guy's name he managed? Ravishing Rick Rude. Then I think he had the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. I think he managed him also. He managed a bunch of people. Yeah, he managed a bunch of people. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rotate, they rotate them through everybody. The brain. Anyway, AEW uh, seems to have it happening right now. Uh, they, you know, they've got all these MMA guys. Brock's just become a free agent on WWE SmackDown and Raw, so he can pick where he wants to go. Shayna Baszler's nice. over at WWE. So, you know, they're all coming over because they don't have to take... And, you know, you look at... Back to Junior, you look at his record, right? And his last, like, six six fights, or rather, sorry, four fights, he lost by TKO, so... um. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't have to now go over. He doesn't have to go and take that type of damage now, which is good. Yeah, but there's a lot of damage that comes with W. Well, it comes with that type of wrestling, though. Just like I mean, aches and pains, though. No, it's not. It's not aches and pains, Dave. Come on, man. <laughs> See, this is what happens. This is, why, this is why fighters get frustrated with. And I'm sure WWE guys or pro wrestlers get frustrated with you. Like, oh, it's just aches and pains. The guy that's you're the guy that has the chips that's falling on his chest, right? Saying, "Oh man, I would have got out of that submission." Yeah, and then I would have got up and then head kicked him. <laughs> like you're not even that flexible. You're Sometimes killing me, bro. True. You're killing me. No, but right, there's a lot. Of, there's in. a lot of there's a lot of damage, man, that comes with the, with these type of sports, and and uh, he's got to be careful. You're still taking headshots every once in a while. They still connect every once in a while. So I don't I don't think he'll be doing any of the flips, any of that stuff. He's you know, I know he's athletic, but I don't think we do any of that stuff. All right, let's talk about something else. Next. Let's get back into MMA. So, Kat Zingano comes Thank out. Thank God. 
Dave. <laughs> Dave just had to. Big John's not here, so Dave threw that AEW thing in there. If Big John was know. here, he would have shut that shit down. Well, he'd have he'd have expressed like how proud he is of Junior having a venture past yeah. MMA. That's yeah, I think you're right. Big John's that kind of guy. He's one of those feel good guys, man. All right, Kat Zingano comes out and says um, she should have been the fight for Cyborg, but she's okay with Sinead getting it. Her words being, I called it Chris Cyborg. She called me out. It makes sense, and clearly all of us want it, but the time just isn't right, and yeah. she's excited to see what Sinead Kavanaugh can do. Yeah, look, in any sport, in any sport, doesn't matter what it is, timing is everything. So as much as we can sit here and say – you know, like that fight, I believe is going to happen. It's gonna, I think it's going to probably happen at next after this, <clears throat> after she fights uh, Sinead. I think this that fight's going to happen. Um, I don't know what the circumstances are. Even if I did know, I probably wouldn't say anything just because it's just smart not to to get involved in that type of situation. Um, <clears throat> but I think that I think the fight for sure is going to happen probably next after this. It would make sense. Also, Cat is Cat is also. Um, really gotten herself on track in terms of what she needs to do to win this fight against cyborg and she's also getting a little bit older so the timing is important for her to make sure that she's peaking at the right time as you get older you need to make sure that your body is in the best shape it can be for that fight at 39 years old she needs to make sure that this fight gets to the ground i really believe and maybe i'm maybe i'm just being dumb and naive but i think if she's able to get this fight to the ground in the first round and potentially early in the second, I think she could be a problem for Cyborg because Cyborg is sure she's, she's good on the ground, but she's not great. The other thing as well, she uses a lot of strength to get out of a lot of positions. Whereas cat, she's got the top pressure. She, when she does get to the top, she can, she can land some heavy shots. She can really start to make Cyborg second guess what she needs to do and start panicking every time that, that uh cat gets in. The one thing that Cyborg does have, not just the strength, for somebody who punches with that amount of power and has that amount of output and fights at that type of speed, at that type of aggression, she sure seems to have pretty damn good cardio pushing into the fourth and fifth round. Cat will have not been in the fifth round, fourth and fifth round. I don't know if ever, but it's been a long time if she has. Can you scroll down to see? Fifth round, she's not. No, nope, never. Yeah, she's never been in the fourth round or the fifth round. So as that fight goes on, you're going to start to see, you know, Cat's never been there, and so the experience and the fight IQ, I think, of of a cyborg will come through. So I think if Cat's going to have a chance, she's going to have to make sure that she dominates the first three rounds, and she's going to have to dominate in terms of getting takedowns. Because if she's able to get takedowns and really make uh, Cyborg second guess on just rushing in with her her blitz of punches and exchanges. I think that Cat could have a chance. Now I'm saying I'm not saying that she's gonna win. I'm just saying that that's the way that I believe she's gonna have to win. She's gonna have to get a takedown early and hold her down or get her get make her work from the bottom for the full first round. If she's able to do that and then get an early takedown on the second and make her start fearing the fact that every time I get in on you, I can take you down. Then that'll start changing the, the amount of output and the amount of power that Cyborg throws. Now, look, easier said than done. I don't know how many females have tried and have been unsuccessful. So that being said, we're going to see when it all comes down. But I, I can't wait to see that fight. But that fight will happen. Next. Do you, do you really think that Kat, be honest, like you don't have, maybe you don't have to be honest, but do you really think that she can, she can be Cyborg? Why would I lie to you? I don't like. I mean, it, it, maybe, look, maybe it, you just maybe you want to defend Bellator a little no, bit because no, you know. No, no, no. no. What am I? Def- what am I defending? I think that I, I'm defending Cat. 
right now. I'm saying that like, I'm not defending Bellator. I'm defending Cat. This is not a Bellator thing. Like, I'm, it's not like no, no, no. I don't, I don't mean it like that. I just mean yeah. Like, I don't care who you wins. Create, you want to create some some hype, right? So like that's what I mean by you defend Bellator, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Hype, what I'm saying, no. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that she is being. I think she's going to be overlooked. But it's not as if like, look, it's not like she fought Megan Anderson. She, she lost. It was an eye injury. Okay. And then she fought uh, Caitlin Vieira. She lost to a split decision. Scroll, scroll down. She beat she beat Gabby Holloway. She beat Olivia Parker. She had a run. She lost to Juliana uh, Pena. And she lost to Ronda Rousey. Like, let's like let's be honest. Like, she lost to Ronda Rousey in the peak of Ronda Rousey. She had beat Amanda Nunes right before that. She had beat Misha Tate. She had beat Raquel Pennington. She had beat uh, Hashi. Um, you know, outside of that, you get into like other, other smaller shows. So you get into those top, the, in that top show, go down a little more. Raquel Pennington, Misha Tate, and Amanda Nunes. Now, don't get me wrong, time has passed. Okay. Like she's, she, then she lost to Ronda, lost to Juliana Pena, and then she lost to Caitlin, uh, Caitlin Vieira. Look, during the, then she beat Marlon, uh, Renault, Renault. Um, but during that time, though, Confidence is key. You just fought for the title against Ronda Rousey. Didn't go well. She lost in 14 seconds. She made a huge mistake. She went running across the cage, jumped, didn't get it. Just it was it was one of those things, just ill-advised. Like it's a five-round fight. Like take your time. And so that, that I think that was like, okay, what are you doing? Like this is a five-round fight. It's it's gonna go a long time. And so in that fight, she should have been a little bit smarter about the whole situation. And at that, and I believe at that time though, too. That Ronda's stand-up was not that good. And if I was going to put Ronda and her in terms of a stand-up fight and who potentially had the chance and opportunity to stop uh, Ronda Rousey's takedowns in the judo and the clinch and get out of there and put her put her back to the fence, and do, it would probably be her at the time. Then she then losing your title shot. Look, there's a lot of things and emotions that go through your mind after losing a title shot. Is, shit, man, it took me that long to get there. Then I got there. And it wasn't what I thought because I lost. And now, now you're like, you're not, your confidence isn't what it was before when you were on your rise to the title shot. And you can look at a lot of fighters that after they've lost their title shot, they have just literally just gone downhill. They just have, they never made a comeback. They never were able to get back to the top. It's because mentally just like, man, I put in all that work. And I'm gonna give you an example. One of my close friends, John Fitch, you know what I mean? I know he got back to one at Bellator, but he got put into a tournament. In that tournament, he was able to get a title shot against, uh, I think it was uh, Roy McDonald. So in that tournament, that's how he got his title shot. But John, after he lost to GSP, it was like just, it was a spiral effect. He had a win, he had a loss, he had a win, he had a, and then he lost, lost. You know, it was like, he just wasn't performing. The confidence wasn't what it was after. Because here's the other thing. After he lost, I believe after he lost to GSP, he went through this thing where he's like, he felt like he had to change things up. Dude, you got there by being the by by doing what you were doing. Keep doing what you're doing and make some tweaks. What he did is he ended up going vegan. He ended up like changing all this other stuff. And you could just see, like, he's like, Oh, I feel great as a vegan. Yeah, but he had no strength. He was losing his um his strength in the clinch, in the in the power in his punches. He never really had a ton of power, but he he just he you could tell that it wasn't the same. He wasn't the same John Fitch that got him to the title. And I feel like the same thing also with um, with Kat. Like after she lost her title shot, she went through that lack of confidence. You know, um, just wasn't there. There was a lot of other things. You know, she I don't know when. Uh, you know, um, she had some outside issues, some family issues, and I'm not going to bring them up here. But you know, she had some real serious family stuff. And if you guys don't know, then you know you guys can look it up. But if you don't, 
uh, yeah, it just, there was a lot of emotional stuff going on, you know, uh, in her life. And so there was a lot of things she had to deal with. And so she, she's still here. She's still able to, she's still out there fighting. She's still grinding away, doing her thing. Shit. Tip my hat. I mean, she's, she's a stud. So I'm not saying, like I said, and when we started this conversation, when you try to jab at me about the Bellator thing, um, it's, it's not a Bellator thing. I can give, I, I don't care who wins. My job is not to care who wins. My job is to say how one person can win and how the other person can win and how it would happen if this person did this and this person did this. I think that's why I said, I think she needs to get a takedown early in the first round. She needs to control the. She needs to control her. She needs to control Cyborg on the ground. Make her work to get back to her feet, and then take her down again if she does get back up. And she needs to get a takedown early in the second, because so she doesn't run into exactly what happened with Mackenzie Dern tonight. She doesn't run into that. Oh, I got a takedown, and then she didn't. She didn't even try to get a takedown until like a minute left in the in the third round. Well, by then, Marina Rodriguez has already fully recovered from the ass whooping she took in the second round. And her cardio and conditioning is back because her confidence is growing because she's done all the output in the, sec in the third round. She's the one that's controlled the tempo of the fight in the third round. And since she controlled the tempo of the fight, she was pushing McKenzie Dern around. And she was dictating what was going on. That's relaxation. That's like she's relaxed going like, there's nothing you're going to do to me. You, I can see everything coming because I'm, I'm putting the pressure on you. Cat needs to take that. What uh, Marina Rodriguez did in the third, she needs to do the same thing uh, to Cyborg. Is because, at, but she can only do that if she's able to get a takedown early in the first and, and able to control that first round. Maybe get another takedown if she needs to in the in the first, and then also she needs to get one early in the second to let her know every time I touch you, I can take you down, and when I take you down, I can control you. That's what Cat needs to do if she's going to win this fight. And like I said, easier said than done. This is not easy. This stuff is not easy. So for, for me to say that, she's going to have her hands full. The other thing is that Kat, when she first came to Bellator, she was only walking around about 143. That's they, They're going to fight at 145. So she's been spending, I believe, when I talked to her at one of the fighter meetings for her Gabby Holloway fight, or no, Olivia Parker fight, she said, look, I'm trying to spend time putting some muscle back on. You know, cause she had, she had that time away from the sport for a while there. And she's just like, look, I want to spend some time putting some weight on 2018 when she lost to Megan Anderson. And then 2020 when she fought, um, Gabby Holloway for Bellator. I mean, that's a long time. So she was, you know, and then she, after that, she's like, okay, I got to get some weight on. I got to put some weight on. I get my strength back up. So she's been working, I think on that hopefully. And that should make a, that should help a little bit. Next. Next topic. Unless you got, yeah. you got something else on that? <laughs> no. Huh? You want to poke some more fun at me, buddy? <laughs> John ain't here to know. save you, buddy. You're, John ain't here to save you. <laughs> no, I just, I just know how biased you are, so I, you know, I just had to. Uh, sure. Cameron Usman calls Colby Covington one of the top fifteen welterweights of all time. Mm -hmm. Is he just trying to promote the fight, or is he being real? No, he's being one hundred percent real. I mean, look, I don't know if he's being real, but I'm saying the comments legit though. What people need, I think, what people need to understand is that Kamaru Usman's a fucking really nice, really good person, and so even though he has beef with him, what does he care? He's already knocked him out. He's already finished him. He's the champ, and he's on a different level right now, I think, than everybody else in that division. There's gonna come someone that's gonna eventually knock him off, unless he decides to walk away. Um, if this goes on another two or three years, like a John Jones, just be like, look, are you guys ain't on my level? <laughs> I'm just gonna just step away and go somewhere else. You know, uh, he may do that. Because I don't see anybody in that ranking system right now that could potentially beat him because his wrestling is so damn good. And now that he's 
with uh, Trevor Whitman is tightening up his striking and making and utilizing that jab. That's something that's one. That's the most underutilized weapon in the game right now is the jab, and he's got a damn good one. And so when we're breaking, when I'm breaking down Kamaru Usman, I'm like, he has success against Colby when he didn't have very good stand up. He's gotten way better since then. I, Colby is the same fighter. Colby, don't get me wrong, is a good, phenomenal wrestler. He needs to have a different game plan for this fight, though. He cannot stand with Kamaru Usman, and maybe he can out-wrestle him, but how tired does he get in out-wrestling him? I thought he should have wrestled him in the first fight, and that he would have had a little bit more success on the feet in those exchanges, and then kept wrestling him to slow him down. Usman, when he wrestles, he's not the same guy after the wrestling that he is on the, uh, on the feet. After a hard-fought wrestling segment, he's not the same guy. The speed is not there. The laboring will make, is, is there a little bit more. The pop and the power are not the same that when you make him wrestle. And that goes for almost every fighter. If you make somebody wrestle like hard and then you put them out, like we do this drill in, in training, you'll, you'll wrestle against the wall. You know, you'll do like takedown defense. You'll wrestle against the wall. And then when you turn the guy... When you turn the guy, you'll circle back and turn and face your your uh, your mitt holder, and you'll pop mitts for a minute straight. Not just like one two one two one two like that garbage. No, you're rocking the mitts hard. Boom boom three punch four punch five punch combinations. You're ripping them hard. That's the type of work that I'm sure that he's doing. But it's it, it's still hard. No matter how much you train for it, it's extremely hard for fighters to wrestle. Use all of use all your whole body. And then turn and then pop mitts with speed and power. And and Usman, from what I've seen, he doesn't have the same pop after you make him wrestle. But he also has been focusing a lot more on his stand-up. So he may have developed that since his last fight and now. You know, he he's he's looked good. He's looked phenomenal. And I said this the last time after he beat Maslow. I said, I'm done. I'm done saying that he's beatable. I don't think he's beatable anymore. I think he's the man. I think he's the guy. He's the guy that I think, you know, is going to be the champion there in the UFC for a long time. I think he's going to be the champion there for a long, long time. And so um, I don't see who's going to beat him. I don't know who's going to beat him. I don't see who's going to beat him. I don't think Colby has the answer. Colby, if he's going to have a chance, he's going to have to wrestle him. He's going to have to wrestle him, then go to the dirty boxing, and then go back to the wrestling. He's going to have to do to him what Randy Couture used to do to every single one of his opponents. He's going to have to just grind on him and just work on him and just get into those clinches and just elbows and knees and, and get down on the legs. And if you don't get it, come back up to the body locks. And then eventually, if you do get him down, just stay heavy on him, make him work, make him work, make him move. That's how, that's how someone's going to have to beat him. And Colby, if I look at the rankings, can you pull up the 70-pound rankings? If we look at the rankings, I don't see, I don't know if there's another guy in those rankings right now that has the type of wrestling to do to do that to him outside of Colby. So if Colby doesn't use his wrestling this time, it's like a free, it's it's just a free game for him. It's free for him to get there. Like Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns, I think, can beat him if he gets, if he's able to take him down. I don't know if he can take him down because the submission threat, I think, is real. But we saw Gilbert walked into that fight thinking he could stand with him because I think I believe I believe he thought he could stand with him because they had trained together, and he probably had success against uh, Usman in the standup. He also probably didn't want to waste a ton of energy trying to get that takedown. 
And so that's why he chose to stand. He spent probably more time trying to stand. But with Colby Covington, he needs to wrestle and then dirty box and then wrestle again and then dirty box and then keep doing that back and forth to the point where someone like Usman, who is explosive, who is a good wrestler, may tend to slow down. He's got that explosive fast twitch muscle. And when people have explosive fast twitch muscle, they tend to slow down if you make them wrestle a lot more. You know, if you make them use you make you grind on them and you make them you make it a dirty grimy fight they will tend to slow down out in the open space but Usman's got the reach he's got the range and if and he what he's got and and people don't I don't think people really take a look and see this he's fucking accurate with his strikes i mean good heavens i mean his shot on Mazadal and then also his shot with Gilbert when he was touching Gil oh i mean it's it's on point, man. He is accurate with his strikes. He's got the, like I said, the most underutilized weapon in the game in that jab. It's probably one of the best jabs in the game, hands down. And all that's due to him working with Trevor Whitman, you know, and doing a great job out there with those guys. So I, I'm done overlooking Usman. I think Usman gets the win, but I think I think Colby will have a chance, like in, in this, when we were talking about the Cyborg and the Casangano uh, thing. It's I feel like it's a very similar style of fight, is that Colby's going to have to do that. He's going to have to get a takedown early. He's going to have to grimy him out. He's going to have to, if he does get back up, he's going to have to take him back down. He's going to have to make it that dirty, grimy fight. I don't know if he's got that in him. I don't know if he got it in him against somebody like Usman. Usman's just, he's just damn good. He's a fucking stud. We're going to see. Next. All right. Uh, next story. Um, actually, it's not so much a story. Uh, this was something that you got on um, Twitter that you promised yeah. to comment on. And so yeah. um, if you don't want me to read the tweet or do you want to kind of... Yeah, read the it? tweet out for me, bud. So Riley Ford tweeted you, Josh, uh, you don't think more analytical people have a role in this space? Love hearing your perspective, like your outlook after the Tony fight, but people like Luke Thomas also provide really valuable insight and a very educated fan perspective. What's, mm -hmm. in, what's the point in fighting that? No, no, no. Here's the thing, uh, Riley Ford. I'm not fighting the fact that, look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone even, like, they've watched enough. You know, like, let's say, like, Ariel. Let's say Luke Thomas. Let's say, you know, um, other media sources. They've watched enough MMA. They they know the sport. They know it. But they've never been in there. And and do they do they train? Are they are they do they train at a high level to understand really what's going on? The pressure of what the fighter's feeling. The pressure of being on bottom, being smothered when you're exhausted. The pressure of having your back to the fence and somebody touching you, not putting a lot of effort out like a Nick Diaz style, just touching you and touching you. There's nothing you can do. You saw a little bit of that tonight with Rodriguez and Dern. Like she was getting touched and like Dern had no answers. She was just turning flustered like hands down, just turning right into punches. That's my point was that is that. I'm not denying that like, look, they're going to, they're going to write their comments. They're going to write, they're going to write their stories and they do a great job. Okay. And I, I look, and I, and I know, I know that there's been a lot of stuff going on with, uh, with, uh, Ariel and all this other stuff, especially with Brendan and a little bit with myself the other day. I look at it as fun, man. Like I could give two shits. Like, but it's funny. I was just watching Dave Chappelle the other day. He's like, fuck Twitter. He's like, Twitter ain't real life. It's like, so that when people start getting into this, like, oh, you got, you, you got burned or you, you know, you did this or this, or... bro, when I, when I get off Twitter, my life still goes on. Like people take Twitter too seriously. So everything else goes on the same thing. These, but these writers, okay. Guys like Luke, brilliant. Luke is probably 
somebody that like not probably pro- Luke is someone when you listen to his breakdowns, he's got a lot of very good insightful things. But Luke cannot tell you what the fighter is thinking in that moment. Luke cannot tell you what the fighter potentially could have done next to make that fight change. Luke, not just Luke, neither can Ariel. They cannot tell you those things. And because they don't have that fighter perspective. And I'm not knocking them. I mean, they chose a different lifestyle than a lot of us did, you know, in terms of in this field. Okay. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But my point is, is that you can't, you can't say some of these, some of the journalists, some of the people, like MMA media is a lot of the times they were fans first. And now all of a sudden decided to, to start writing stuff. And then they, they treat it as if like it's gold and it's not. And that's like, they, they don't, they don't understand the perspective of where a fighter is coming from when they miss weight. I think it's frustrating. I think with the Aspen lad situation, when she missed weight, it's frustrating. But the one thing that I've learned over the years is that females just when, when their period comes, there's not a damn thing they can do about making the weight. They go from, okay, I'm only one pound over. All of a sudden now I'm feeling bloated and carrying water and holding water. And I'm like two pounds over. When I went to bed last night, I was a pound over. And so that's, that's what makes the difference. Those are sure. Those are maybe perspectives. I like that, that I've years and years of, you know, talking with female fighters, training with female fighters, coaching female fighters and having this happen. But those guys have never done that. They've never coached a female fighter. They've never had really one-on-one tight conversations with them about those type of situations. And I think that they both do a good job. Ariel does a good job. Ariel understands one thing. He knows how to get underneath people's skin to create a funny situation. He doesn't, like when he gets off, uh, because I was talking to DC when all this stuff uh, the other night went down with between Ariel and I. DC's texting me. He's like, bro. He's like, just leave him alone. He just really just gets on there and he's like and he he he's like one of those guys he can murder people on there but twitter's not real life that's the, that's the biggest thing like it's not a real place and so when you get on there like dc was having this car he's like he gets off and he's like he goes back to his normal life he doesn't take anything that people say offensive he doesn't care and when he does care he brings it up and when i had brought it up the other day uh, uh with him about it all is that he was talking about someone being like upset or he was talking about people talking about him. And then, and my comment was like, he really kind of is, he's, he got, he got triggered a little bit because he, he has talked about it quite a bit as of lately, you know? And that's not, that's not kind of like the aerial that I know. And everyone's like, Oh, he's sticking up for himself. I get it. I understand, but I'm going to give you guys a flip side on this situation. Okay. In that comment, in that, in that last tweet that he had wrote, he had wrote a video Okay. And this is, this is, this is why, this is kind of a reason why I kind of chimed in a little bit was he had posted a video of him with Brendan doing an interview and Brendan goes, said something along the lines of, oh, I'm just like nervous, you know, like to do the interview. Well, you have to remember at that time, Ariel was kind of like ordained by Dana in terms of like, Hey, he's the guy that you're going to do the interview with after. And that's considered like to be a big thing. Now you have a fighter like Brendan. It doesn't matter any fighter. You guys got to put this in perspective. Let's just put Brendan out of it. Let's just say it was Connor McGregor. Use a, use a name like Connor. Connor comes out and he's like, after his, after his win, say one of his first wins in the UFC, after he comes out and he says, Hey, he comes out and he does an interview with Ariel. He's like, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, this is new. This is new to me. It's I'm a little nervous. And just remember, he just exhausted himself. Maybe it was a three-round fight. Maybe it was a hard-fought fight. He's exhausted. His mind's not really all there. 
And so when I when I saw the tweet the other day from Ariel, I was like thinking to myself, like that's a little kind of like if you guys have words back and forth, that that's that's okay. I get, I understand. Like whatever. That's I don't care. Like first off, I don't care about your guys' drama. But I thought that was a little bit. I thought it was a little over the. I thought it was a little over the top when he pulled up the the interview and put that little thing there, because what happens is now you have a press guy. Whether even if it's not Ariel, any other press guy, I, and that's the thing people need to understand. I'm not talking about just Ariel. I'm talking about the Ariel in this situation, but I'm talking about every other press guy. It could be it could be any other person that does interviews. Okay, let's just say I'm going to throw Megan Olivia out there. She's she does a phenomenal job. But let's say Megan was to use a clip from an interview to embarrass a fighter that they they they, they had interviewed from before. Now any other fighter, right? If you guys have watched that clip. And you guys turn like say a year down the road or when you're retired and that's being used against you in a moment of weakness in terms of like, you just got done fighting, you're exhausted, you come and you talk. It just seemed like a little unprofessional. I get the banter back and forth. I love the whole, Hey, come at me, Hilwani, you know, the nose, all that stuff, everything. I don't, people call him the nose. I don't, I mean, it's, I get it. That's all fun. I think like you want to come at me, come get me. I got this for you. I thought that shit was entertaining as fuck. Okay, but when you take clips like that and you put them out, Ariel went to school to be a journalist. And that was like kind of one of those like, all right, now you just kind of lowered your level to if you said Brennan's doing that, then you lowered your level to wherever it is that he was at. Then if that's what you're saying. And so that's kind of like, I think that comment. Now, my comments about about the about the um, about owning the show. And he's like, oh, well, you own like you work for Bellator. Yeah, I do work for Bellator. But. Ariel, we weren't talking about Bellator. We were talking about our podcast. You were talking about your, I think it's called the Hawani Hour. Is that what it's called? Or the MMA, MMA Hour? Well. MMA Hour. Okay. I, I don't believe that you own that show. Like if you leave, the MMA Hour stays there. You'll, you, that, that, and, yeah. And here, yeah. And if with us, and I, we were talking about shows, we weren't talking about working for Bellator and you, you working for ESPN. We weren't talking about that. We were just talking about strictly the show. And that was it. That was the comment that I made in our last uh, in our last thing, in our last uh, show with Big John and I, and that was it. I said like the only difference is is that yeah, I don't when we're doing this show, I don't work for anyone. Dave works for me, and John John and I work together in terms of the two of us on this show, and that was all that was said. There was nothing nothing bad about it. Ariel, I think, is one of the only guys that actually has a journalism degree, I believe. Uh, that covers MMA. I mean, I'm sure there's other guys now that I don't follow as much, you know, but Ariel's one of the first guys in the sport that I think actually had a journalism degree and covered the sport itself. And so in terms of what he does, he does a good job, man. He's good at what he does. Um, That was what the conversation was about. So that's separate from what I was talking with him. He, like I said, he just seemed like he got a little upset uh, with the Brendan thing and it's gotten, it's carried on. And I thought it was funny, you know, but when that clip of him, doing the interview with Brennan got posted. Now that just tells other fighters that later on down the road, you could potentially be, if you don't say something, if you, if you dislike something he says and you comment on it, that he could potentially pull up old clips of you being interviewed by him and use it against you. That's not, that's not that, that to me was unprofessional. The rest of it, I could care less. This is fun entertainment. It's Twitter and Twitter's not real life. That's the thing. Twitter's not a real place. It's not real life. So, I know I kind of went off on that as well, but to talk more about with Riley Ford, there is space in there for everyone because it says at the bottom, he says, what's the point in fighting that? Like everyone's perspective is Luke Thomas is 
absolutely phenomenal. I love his show, Morning Combat, with him and Brian Campbell. They do a wonderful job. We started our podcast, I believe, or our shows around the same time. And then they started probably a couple months earlier than us. Um, they are, they're phenomenal, man. They do a great job. Um, there's, I love his perspective on things, but like you, but like, I think you said this in the, in this comment, love hearing your perspective, like your outlook after the Tony fight, but people like Luke Thomas also provide really valuable insight. That's absolutely true. They provide it though, from a different perspective in terms of more of a fan perspective, more of a journalist perspective. And that's, I'm not knocking them for that. I, I just don't like when it turns into it's when it turns into, and I'm not saying Luke does this it, when it turns into he should have done that or, or a, that they know what the fighter could have, should have done, or it, it, it turns into that position. And I don't like that position coming from anyone because I honestly, like from the very beginning, I've always stood up for the fighter. I've always been that guy. I will be that guy. Sure, I work for Bellator in terms of, you know, doing analyst work, but I still to this day, I have conversations with with um some of the top brats at Bellator. I even still have conversations with some of the guys that work for the UFC, and they talk about certain fighters. I'm like, "Look, this fighter has this this and this potential." All I do is speak highly of every fighter when it comes to talking about talking to guys like someone like a Scott Coker or a Rich Chow or a Mike Kogan or a whoever else works for Bellator or anyone inside the UFC. I'm not going to name names because I don't want them to get fired. But um, you know what I mean? So like anytime you talk to any of them in the UFC, it's just about making sure that they understand they have tons of talented fighters. And when you see the gold in someone, stick up for them. Make them feel like, make, make, that, make whoever you're talking to in that organization, make them feel like, look, if you guys want to groom this person this person can be really good give them a, a fight or two to get them on the right track that works tailor-made for them if they don't grit it out and get it get a win then i understand the, the reluctancy but then some of them they end up rising to the occasion majority of them end up riding the rising to the occasion and having a phenomenal fight and and later on even having uh, phenomenal careers so hopefully uh riley ford hopefully i answered that uh i was kind of a little bit all over the place on there but you know <laughs> We'll see. Well, you I'm gonna catch the, some, uh, I know. I know. I'm gonna catch some flack on this whole thing. So, well, no big John is, here. No, no big John here to save me. <laughs> yeah, you said something about saying nice things about fighters. Now they're gonna go back and find every time you said something not nice about fighters. Oh, it's it's Twitter. okay. But like I said, it's Twitter, man. It's not. Re- it's not. It's not a real place. <laughs> um, oh. so, so the only last thing, Josh, was the whole Eddie Hawani thing. And I was just gonna yeah. bring that up, but but since you answered it, um, mm-hmm. let's just let's just jump into. Uh, our outro for the show. Our outro. Uh, how much we'll time we have? Up. It's been an hour and twenty one. We're, we're Damn, at I know twenty five right now. I talk that much already. Shit, you, you really do talk. Hey, that much. do we have? Do you have any? Do you have any? Do you have any like one or two fan questions? Can you pull um, one or two up? Let's try to get this thing to an hour thirty. Let's get it an hour right. thirty. Let's um, go an hour. I may only have one from the other day That's that fine. I didn't answer. Let's see. Okay, uh, would you? Do you have one? Uh, I don't. I don't think we. I think we answered that. I think. Uh, yeah, we answered that one for sure. Um, did we talk about interim fights? Yeah, we in- did. Oh yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah, um, a draw is a draw, buddy. <laughs> Title stays. <laughs> Title stays, or it just stays vacant. Um, did we talk about Tony and Connor? Yeah, we did. Yep. Yeah, we did. 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, we might have gone through all of these. There's a couple of questions mm-hmm. I dropped because, but there's so many in here that it'd be hard to go through. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, yeah, we talked about um, that already. Yeah. All right, look. Um, okay, well, we tried. We tried to stretch this thing out a little bit more. Um, other than that, I want to just remind you guys all that it was a it was a good night of fights. Make sure you guys watch the Wilder Fury. We will cover that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do it by myself, but Big John, like I said, likes to try and do things on his own. With some outside help, he ended up cutting his uh, internet cable that was underneath his driveway when he was digging up his driveway. And when that happened, no internet now for days. Let me explain to you this. He thought, or he forgot, I should say, that his house is run off of his internet. <laughs> he's got no TV. He's got he's got no other stuff that I don't want to say because then people may try to find out where he lives. And he's got... like. He's got nothing. He's got no internet. He's got no 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 Wi-Fi. He's got nothing. So I'm like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> He's got nothing. So I said, John, start start hiring people, professionals, to do these jobs, please. You've broken your ribs trying to do the job. You've had fights with hornets. What else has he done? He's done something else too. There was another thing he did that he ended up getting hurt. Gosh, anyways, he's always getting yeah. hurt. Uh, no, well, the, 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 he got hit with a chainsaw as well as falling off uh, a tree. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And He's the six broken hearts. ribs, man. When yeah. they got to the hospital, the doctor said this it could be fatal. Like if something bad, if he already had kind of had a, he had a punctured lung also too, a collapsed lung. Sorry, not a punctured lung, collapsed lung. All of those things. Come on, <sighs> come on, John. Anyways, he's already told. He's already like he's already at the like height of like. Where he's come, he's on the downside of life, you know. <laughs> he's, he's <trying laughs> You're so mean. You're now. ruthless, bro. He'll be sixty this. I think next year or this year. No, uh, I think he. I think he'll be sixty next year. Yeah, I think it's next year. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, all right. Well, hey, if you guys can go to go to prowrestlingtees.com slash Wayne in. Use the promo code and still pick up one of our shirts there. And you guys. There's a lot of cool shirts that are up there right now. So also hit the subscribe button in our YouTube channel on all of our audio platforms. Our main ones are iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Those are our main three. But you can go to any other platforms as well. SoundCloud, Google Play, all of them. We are available there as well. Enjoy our audio platform. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. I said a lot. I talked a lot. It was fun. It's a shorter show. John normally kicks things back and forth off of us. So I'm hoping he is back by Monday or Tuesday. Because we have a lot to do between now and then. And I'm pumped for that. So hopefully he is back by then. Now, next week, we will be in Arizona for the Bellator Light Heavyweight World Grand Prix. You've got Vadim Nemkov versus Julius Anglixis, who is stepping in because Anthony Rumble Johnson, who's a close friend of mine, has been um, has been removed and those are some other reasons uh, that he is releasing, I believe, on his Instagram. So if you follow him, it's uh, Rumble Johnson, I believe is what it is, or it's at Rumble, I think, on Twitter. So you guys follow him. He's actually posting pictures now of some of the stuff that he's been going through and what he's been through. But uh, he is back on track. He is starting to feel healthy, starting to feel good, starting to get all the things that, um, you know, it's uh, to get him back on track. So I'm happy for him, and it's good. But Julius Anglicus is very good. He's got good boxing. He's got good wrestling. He is going to be slower than Nemkov, but he does possess power. He's got good anti-wrestling as well, and he's not bad when he gets to the top position. But his boxing is on point. He's built like a brick shit house, super muscular, cuts a lot of weight, 
and is a big, big guy for that weight class. Nemkov, very similar, but has more speed, a little bit more athletic, but puts things together very well. Nemkov cannot afford to be on bottom of Anglicus if he does get taken down. Nemkov needs to try to get this fight to the ground. I'm not saying that they can't stand. I think I think Nemkov could definitely outbox him and outkickbox him. But it could be a very, very tough fight uh, for Nemkov on the feet. He's going to have to mix it up from the wrestling to the stand-up and utilizing a lot of those inside kicks and outside kicks and mixing up the head kicks as well in there. Uh, Ryan Bader versus Corey Anderson. That's going to be a phenomenal fight. They've trained together before. Corey seems to, seems to insinuate that... Ryan Bader knows who won those training sessions. And Ryan Bader says what basically Allen Iverson said. What are we talking about? We talking about practice? Come on, man. Get out of here. So when we're having that conversation, this could be one of those fights. I think Corey Anderson is phenomenal. He's going he's gonna to have his hands full with Ryan Bader. But I also look at, too, that Corey Anderson is someone. He's got the speed. He's got the kicks. He's got the wrestling. He's got good ground and pound. He's a big, tall, long, lanky fighter for that weight class at 205. And is a phenomenal fighter. So that fight mixed up with Ryan Bader, which we will be in Arizona in Phoenix, which is Ryan Bader's hometown. He will have a huge crowd there uh, with all of his family support and friend support. So that's going to be a good semifinals matchup um, next week in Arizona. So make sure you guys tune in. All right, guys. Um, well, hey. Yep. And hey, and then just so you guys know, we are dropping a thank you in a tomorrow, Monday. So just make sure you've got the bell clicked so that you get notified when we drop videos. Um, and then obviously if you're on any audio platforms, you've got notifications on there because we're dropping a special fan question show on Monday and then we'll still do a midweek show. So you guys are getting an extra video this week. Yeah. No, I understand. That's going to be good. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Hopefully John's going to be part of it. You know, um, Knucklehead decided to dig up his uh, electrical, <laughs> his internet wire. All right, buddy. Well, John, if you're listening, which I believe you will be tomorrow when this drops, we missed you tonight. The fans, I know the fans missed you. The last thing they want to do is just hear me rant for one hour and 29 minutes and 16 seconds. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this show. <laughs> we will talk to you guys later. And like John says, we will see ya.